Section 8 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 2, Jewish Heroes and Prophets by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Samuel, Part 2. Whether the people of Israel did not believe the predictions of the prophet, or wished to have a kingly government in spite of its evils, in order to become more powerful as a nation, we do not know. All we know is that they persisted in their demand, and that God granted their request. With all the memories and traditions of their slavery in the land of Egypt, and the grinding despotism incident to an absolute monarchy of which their ancestors bore witness, they preferred despotism with its evils to the independence they had enjoyed under the judges. For nationality, to which the Jewish people were casting longing eyes, demands law and order as the first condition of society. In obedience to the same principle, the grinding monarchy of Louis the Fourteenth seemed preferable to the turbulence and anarchy of the Middle Ages, since unarmed and obscure citizens felt safe in their humble avocations. In like manner, after the license of the French Revolution, the people said, Give us a king once more, and seated Napoleon on the throne of the Bourbons, a ruler who took one man out of every five adults to recruit his armies and consolidate his power, which he called the glory of France. Thus kings have reigned by the will of the people, or as they call it, by the grace of God, from Saul and David to our own times, except in those few countries where liberty is preferred to material power and military laurels. The peculiar situation of the Israelites in a narrow strip of territory which was the highway between Syria and Egypt, likely to be overrun by Aramaeans, Assyrians, Babylonians, and Egyptians, to say nothing of the hostile nations which surrounded them, such as Moabites and Philistines, necessarily made them a warlike people, like the inhabitants of the Swiss cantons five or six hundred years ago and they were hence led to put a high estimate on military qualities, especially on the general who had led them to battle. They accordingly desired a greater centralized power than the judges wielded, which could be exercised only by a king, entrenched in a strong capital. Their desire for a king was natural and almost excusable if they were willing to pay the inevitable price. They simply wished to surrender liberty for protection and political safety. They did not repudiate the fundamental doctrine of their religion, they simply wanted a change of government, a more efficient administration. The selection of a king did not rest with the people, however, but with the great prophet who had ruled them with so much wisdom and ability, and who was regarded as the interpreter of the will of God. Samuel, by the direction of God, did not go into the powerful tribe of Ephraim, which possessed one half of the Israelitish territory, to select a sovereign, but to the smallest of the tribes, that of Benjamin, the most warlike, however, and to one of the least of the families of that tribe, dwelling in very humble life kish the benjamite had sent out his son saul in quest of three asses who had strayed away from the farm a man so poor that he had no money to give to the seer who should direct his search as was customary and was obliged to borrow a quarter of a shekel from his servant when they went together to seek the counsel of samuel but this obscure youth was a choice young man and a goodly he had a commanding presence was very beautiful and was head and shoulders taller than any other man of his tribe a man every way likely to succeed in war Samuel no sooner saw the commanding figure and intelligent countenance of Saul than he was assured that this was the man whom the Lord had chosen to be the future captain and champion of Israel. He at once treated him with distinguished honor, and made him sit at his own table, much to the amazement of the thirty nobles who were also bidden to a banquet. The prophet took the young man aside, conducted him to the top of his house, anointed him with the sacred oil, kissed him, a form of allegiance, and communicated to him the will of God. 
but samuel was only privately consecrated and with rare discretion told no man of his good fortune for he had not yet distinguished himself in any way and would have been laughed to scorn by his relative as joseph was by his brothers had he revealed his destiny nor did samuel dare to tell the people of the man whom the lord had chosen to rule over them but assembled all the tribes that the choice might be publicly indicated probably to their astonishment the little tribe of benjamin was taken that is pointed out presumably by lot as was their custom when appealing for divine direction and out of the tribe of benjamin the family of matri was chosen and saul the son of kish was selected but saul could not be found with where modesty and humility he had hidden himself when at length they brought him from his hiding-place samuel said unto the people see ye him who the lord hath chosen that there is none like him among all the people and such was the authority of Samuel that the people shouted, saying, God save the king, a circumstance interesting as being the first recorded utterance of a cry that has been echoed the world over by many a loyal people. Not yet, however, was Saul clothed with full power as a king. Samuel still remained the acknowledged ruler until Saul should distinguish himself in battle. This soon took place. With heroic valor he delivered Jabesh-Gilead from the host of the Ammonites when that city was about to fall into their hands, and silenced the envy of his enemies. In a burst of popular enthusiasm Samuel collected the people in Gilgal, and there formally installed Saul as king of Israel. Samuel was now an old man and was glad to lay down his heavy burden and put it on the shoulders of Saul. Yet he did not retire from the act of government without making a memorable speech to the assembled nation, in which, with transcendent dignity, he appealed to the people in attestation of his incorruptible integrity as a judge and ruler. Behold, here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose ass have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind my eyes therewith? And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. Then Samuel closed his address with an injunction to both king and people to obey the commandments of God, and denouncing the penalty of disobedience. Only fear the Lord, and serve him in truth and with all your heart. For consider what great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king." Saul for a time gave no offense worthy of rebuke, but was a valiant captain, smiting the Philistines, who were the most powerful enemies that the Israelites had yet encountered. But in an evil day he forgot his true vocation, and took upon himself the function of a priest by offering burnt sacrifices, which was not lawful but for the priest alone. For this he was rebuked by Samuel. Thou hast done foolishly, he said to the king, for which thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. We see here the blending of the theocratic with the kingly rule. Nevertheless, Saul was prospered in his wars. He fought successfully the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Amalekites, and the Philistines, aided by his cousin Abner, whom he made captain of his host. He did much to establish the kingdom, but he was rather a great captain than a great man. He did not fully perceive his mission, which was to fight, but meddled with affairs which belonged to the priests. Nor was he always true to his mission as a warrior. He weakly spared Agag, king of the Amalekites, which again called forth the displeasure and denunciation of Samuel, who regarded the conduct of the king as direct rebellion against God, since he was commanded to spare none of that people, they having shown an uncompromising hostility to the Israelites in their day of weakness, when first entering Canaan. 
this and similar commands laid upon the israelites at various times to utterly destroy certain tribes or individuals and all of their possessions have been justified on the ground of the bestial grossness and corruption of those pagan idolaters and the vileness of their religious rites and social customs which unfortunately always found a temptable side on the part of the israelites and repeatedly brought to naught the efforts of jehovah's prophets to bring up their people in the fear of the lord to recognize him only as god it was not easy for that sensual race to stand on the height of moses and endure as seeing him who is invisible they too easily fell into idolatry hence the necessity of the extermination of some of the nests of iniquity in canaan whether saul spared agag because of his personal beauty to grace his royal triumph or whatever the motive it was a direct disobedience and when the king attempted to exculpate himself inasmuch as he had made a sacrifice of the spoil to the lord samuel replied hath the lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying his voice behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as an iniquity and idolatry the prophet here sets forth as isaiah did in later times the great principles of moral obligation as paramount over all ceremonial observances he strikes a blow at all pharisianism and all self-righteousness and inculcates obedience to direct commands as the highest duty of man saul perceiving that he had sinned confessed his transgression but palliated it by saying that he feared the people but this policy of expediency had no weight with the prophet although saul repented and sought pardon samuel continued his stern rebuke and uttered his fearful message saying Jehovah has rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Furthermore, Samuel demanded that Agag, whom Saul had spared, should be brought before him, and he took it upon himself with his aged hand the work of executioner, and hewed the king of the Amalekites in pieces in Gilgal. He then finally departed from Saul, and mournfully went to his own house in Ramah, and Saul saw him no more. As the king was the Lord's anointed, Samuel could not openly rebel against kingly authority, but he would henceforth have nothing to do with the headstrong ruler. He withdrew from him all spiritual guidance and left him to his follies and madness, for the inextinguishable jealousy of Saul that now began to appear was a species of insanity which poisoned his whole subsequent life. The people continued loyal to a king whom God had selected, but Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. To be deserted by such a counselor as Samuel was no small calamity. Meanwhile, in obedience to instructions from God, Samuel proceeded to Bethlehem, the humble abode of Jesse, of the tribe of Judah, one of whose sons he was required to anoint as the future king of Israel. He was naturally about to select the largest and finest looking of the seven sons, but God looketh on the heart rather than the outward appearance, and David, a mere youth and the youngest of the family, was the one indicated by Jehovah, and was privately anointed by the prophet. Saul, of course, did not know on whom the choice had fallen as his successor, but from that day on he was warned of the penalty of his disobedience, divine favor departed from him, and he became jealous, fitful, and cruel. He presented a striking contrast to the character he had shown in his early days, being no longer modest and humble, but proud and tyrannical. Prosperity and power had turned his head and developed all that was evil in him. Nero was not more unreasonable and bloodthirsty than Saul in his latter days prosperity developed in solomon a love of magnificence in nebuchadnezzar a towering vanity but in saul a malignant envy of all extraordinary merit and a sullen determination to destroy the persons it adorned the last person in his kingdom of whom apparently he had reason to be jealous was the ruddy and beardless youth whom he had sent for to drive away his melancholy by his songs and music nor was it until david killed goliath that saul became jealous 
before this he had no cause of envy for kings do not envy musicians but reward them david's reward was as extravagant as that which russian emperors shower upon singers and dancers he was made armor-bearer to the king an office bestowed only upon favorites and those who were implicitly trusted and beloved little did the moody and jealous king imagine that the youth whom he had brought from obscurity to amuse his melancholy hours by his music and probably his wit and humor would so soon by his own sanction become the champion of israel and ultimately his successor on the throne in the latter part of the reign of saul the enemies with whom he had to contend were the various canaanitish nations that had remained unconquered during the hard struggle of four hundred years after the hebrews had been led by joshua to the promised land the most powerful of these nations were the philistines strong in their military organization fierce in their warlike spirit and rich by their position and commercial instincts they even threatened the ancient supremacy of the phoenicians of the north their cities were restless centers of every form of activity ashdod and gaza as the keys of egypt commanded the carrying trade to and from the nile and formed the great depots for its imports and exports all the cities moreover traded in slaves with edom and sudden arabia and their commerce in other directions flourished so greatly as to gain for the people at large the name of canaanites which was synonymous with merchant even the word palestine is derived from the philistines their skills as smiths and armorers was noted the strength of their cities attest their strength as builders and their idols and golden mice and emeralds show their respect for the arts of peace it is supposed that they had settled in canaan about the time of abraham and were originally a pastoral people in the neighborhood of gesar or immigrants from crete when the israelites under joshua arrived they were in full possession of the southern part of palestine and had formed a confederacy of five powerful cities gaza ashdod ascalon gath and ekron in the time of the judges they had become so prosperous and powerful that they held the israelites in partial subjection broken at intervals by heroes like shamgar and samson under eli there was an organized but unsuccessful resistance to these prosperous and warlike heathen under samuel the tide of success was turned in israel's favor at the battle of mizpah when the israelites erected their pillar at ebenezer as a token of victory the battle of michmash gained by saul and jonathan after an immense slaughter of their foes was so decisive that for twenty-five years the israelites were unmolested in the latter part of the reign of saul the philistines attempted to regain their ascendancy but on the death of goliath at the hand of david they were driven to their own territories the battle of gilboa where saul and jonathan were slain again turned the scale in favor of the philistines under david the israelites resumed the aggressive took gath and completely broke forever the ascendancy of their powerful foes under solomon it would appear that the whole of philistia was incorporated with the hebrew monarchy and remained so until the calamities of the jews gave philistia to the assyrian conquerors of jerusalem and finally it fell into the hands of the romans the philistines were zealous idolaters and in times of great religious apostasy they succeeded in introducing the worship of their gods among the israelites especially that of baal and ashtaroth samuel did not live to see the complete humiliation of his nation which succeeded the bloody battle when saul was slain but he lived to a good old age and never lost his influence over the israelites whom he had rescued from idolatry and to whom he had given political unity although saul was king we are told that samuel judged israel all the days of his life he died universally lamented there is no record in scriptures of a death attended with such profound and general mourning all israel mourned for him they mourned because he was a good man unstained by crime or folly they mourned because their judge and oracle and friend had passed away 
they mourned because he had been their intercessor with god himself and the interpreter of the divine will his like would never appear again in israel he represents the independence of the moral law as distinct from regal and sacerdotal enactments if a levite he was not a priest he was a prophet the first in the regular succession of prophets he was also the founder of the first regular institutions of religious instruction and communities for the purpose of education from these institutions were developed the universities of christendom in a spiritual and religious sense the prophet takes the highest rank in the kingdom of god on earth among the hebrews he was the interpreter of the divine will he predicted future events he was a preacher of righteousness he was the counsellor of kings and princes he was a sage and oracle among the people he was a reformer teaching the highest truths and restoring the worship of god when nations were sunk in idolatry he was the mouthpiece of the eternal for warning for rebuke for encouragement for chastisement he was divinely inspired armed with supernatural powers a man whom the people feared and obeyed sometimes honored sometimes stoned one who bore heavy responsibilities and of whom were demanded disagreeable duties we associate with the idea of a prophet both wisdom and virtue great gifts and great personal piety we think of him as a man who lived a secluded life of meditation and prayer in constant communion with god and removed from all worldly rewards a man indifferent to ordinary pleasures to outward pomp and show free from personal vanity lofty in his bearing independent in his mode of life spiritual in his aims fervent and earnest in his exhortations living above the world in the higher regions of faith and love disdaining praises and honors soft raiment and luxurious food and maintaining a proud equality with the greatest personages a man not to be bought and not to be deterred from his purpose by threatenings or intimidation or flatteries commanding reverence and exalted as a favorite of heaven it was not necessary that the prophet should be a priest or even a levite he was greater than any impersonation of sacerdotalism sacred in his person and awful in his utterances unassisted by ritualistic forms declaring truths which appealed to consciousness a kind of spiritual dictator who inspired awe and reverence in one sense or another most of the august characters of the old testament were prophets abraham moses joseph david elijah daniel isaiah jeremiah ezekiel they either foretold the future or rebuked kings as messengers of omnipotence or taught the people great truths or uttered inspired melodies or interpreted dreams or in some way revealed the ways and will of god among them were patriarchs kings and priests and sages uninvested with official functions some lived in cities and others in villages and others again in the wilderness and desert places some reigned in the palaces of pride and others in the huts of poverty yet all alike exercised a tremendous moral power they were the national poets and historians of judea preachers of patriotism as well as of religion and morals exercising political as well as spiritual power those who stand out preeminently in the sacred writings were gifted with the power of revealing the future destinies of nations and above all other things the peculiarities of the messianic reign samuel was not called to declare those profound truths which relate to the appearance and reign of christ as the savior of mankind nor the fate of idolatrous nations nor even the future vicissitudes connected with the hebrew nation but to found a school of religious teachers to revive the worship of jehovah guide the conduct of the princes and direct the general affairs of the nation as commanded by god he was the first and most favored of the great prophets and exercised an influence as a prophet never equaled by any who succeeded him he was a great prophet since for forty years he ruled israel by direct divine illumination a holy man who communed with god great in speech and great in action
He did not rise to the lofty eloquence of Isaiah, nor foresee the fate of nations like Daniel and Ezekiel. But he was consulted and obeyed as a man who knew the divine will, gifted beyond any other man of his age in spiritual insight, and trusted implicitly for his wisdom and sanctity. These were the excellences which made him one of the most extraordinary men in Jewish history, rendering services to his nation which cannot easily be exaggerated. End of section 8